Hello and welcome back to Dagish America Presents. I am your host, Ben Harl, and as always, I'm so very happy to have the opportunity to talk to you about the industry that I work in. Last week, we spoke with Blake Buckner about some of the phosphine fumigation techniques used here in the United States. There's a lot of different ways to use this molecule, and it's always good to drill down into some of those options to help clarify when and how we should use phosphine. In this episode, we'll be discussing some of the logistics on safe handling, storage, and transportation of phosphine, and we've invited Tim Larson, one of our division managers here at Dagish America, to help explain some of the extra steps you'll need to practice in order to be both safe and legal when handling phosphine, as well as highlight some of the personal protective equipment needed to do so. So, please help me welcome Tim to the podcast. Tim, uh, thanks a lot for agreeing to uh, join us today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Oh, no problem. So right out of the gate, I want to start just by asking you, uh, for the, for any of our listeners who may not know who you are, if you could just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and what your relationship is to the fumigation industry. I'm the, uh, my job title is the West Coast Regional uh, Manager for Degish America. We basically were located out of Portland, Oregon, and uh, work on uh, a lot of service work in the Pacific Northwest. I myself grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in a small town around agriculture from when I was a little kid. Went to school, I went to college at Illinois State University, got a degree in agribusiness. And uh, ever since then, I've either worked in agriculture or food processing or, or horticulture areas. So I've got uh, 41 years post-college. And for the last 13 plus years, I've been working for Degish American. Okay. Wow. Another Midwest boy. I like that. I think you and I come from the same neck of the woods, in fact. So it's nice to know that we can that we can get out and, and branch out into other areas of the United States and uh, outside of the Midwest. So this season, we're talking about phosphine specifically. So I, I was going to just kind of rely on some of your expertise with phosphine. I know uh, you and your team use phosphine quite a bit up there in the Pacific Northwest. So really wanted to kind of just talk about, you know, storage, transportation, handling, you know, how, what some of the issues are or what some of the concerns or considerations are when it comes to handling and safely uh, using and applying and transporting phosphine. So I was hoping, you know, just to start out that maybe you could just kind of give us a brief overview of some of the dangers that are associated with phosphine in general. Well, the main danger that's involved with phosphine is is the the gas that's produced is uh, extremely dangerous. That's what makes it a, a, you know, a uh, restricted use pesticide. And it's main danger to us is inhalation hazard. Um, So besides that, any water, if uh, it's exposed to water, the aluminum phosphide can be uh, also be extremely dangerous and it can cause a fire or uh, a very, as I term it, a very vigorous reaction (laughs) um, in terms of uh, it's high concentrations of 18,000 parts per million. If it gets up to that lower explosive limit, you should never confine it. If it's confined and, and it can reach those levels, well, then uh, it's going to have a reaction that you may or it may have a reaction that you won't be very happy with. So. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I've heard some horror stories in the past of people confining phosphine and getting uh, explosions, probably not the right word, but it definitely has a reaction that is expansive, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So. 
All right. So uh, what are, uh, obviously, a, a phosphine is something that can be considered to be dangerous, and, and it is dangerous. I mean, phosphine is a fumigant. Its intended goal is to actually eliminate pests. So it's supposed to be dangerous. We just want to make sure that it's dangerous against the right organisms and not dangerous for us. So obviously, if we want to work around it safely, there's a certain amount of personal protective equipment that we have to wear. Could you kind of give us some examples of some of the PPE or personal protective equipment that's required or should be used while you're handling or transporting or storing phosphine? You know, the number one piece of equipment that's critical to you is going to be respiratory protection. That can be uh, a full face uh, gas mask with a uh, canister that's specific for phosphine gas, or, or it could be SCBA. Phosphine can produce an odor that can be detected well below the 0.3 time-weighted average, uh, where you would be required to start wearing a, a full-face gas mask and canister. So, but once the gas gets to 0.3 parts on up to 15 parts per million, you're, you're, you must test to know what your gas levels are. If you're not testing for the presence of the phosphine gas, then you have no way of knowing what it is. If you have no way of knowing what it is, then you need, your requirements are that you must wear a SCBA. But between 0.3 and 15 parts per million, a full face gas mask with a canister for phosphine gas uh, will suffice. Besides the respiratory protection, if you're going to be handling the, the tablets or pellets directly, aluminum phosphide, then you need to be wearing uh, dry gloves made of cotton or other material. I always tell people if they get wet, they should replace those. It's never good to <laughs> right. have the moisture around uh, the aluminum phosphide. And, you know, for my guys, I want my guys to wear coveralls. It does, you're not required to, but I want my guys wearing coveralls. Uh, the last thing you want to do is have some pellets or tablets when you're doing an application drop into a pocket or the cuff of, of a pant leg or something or right. and, and take it home with you. And, and then your wife's washing your clothes and introducing that into the, the washer. And suddenly there's the water that it shouldn't be around. So, yeah, no, that's a good call. Yeah. And I know you mentioned some of the uh, you mentioned the time weighted average and you mentioned some parts per million. So. Most people probably know this, but I'll say it anyway, you know, uh, going to kind of the safe levels or res safe respiratory levels that we're allowed to be in, you know, anything that's under 0.3 parts per million is safe. You can be around that quantity of phosphine and you don't, no respiratory protections required at all. Anything from 0.3 to 15 parts per million, as Tim said, that's when you start getting into the need for respiratory protection. And in that case, you can use either a full-face respirator with a phosphine canister, as Tim said, or you can wear an SCBA, self-contained breathing apparatus, if you want to. You don't have to. Most people wear the full-face uh, respirator with the canister. And then anything above 15 parts per million absolutely have to wear uh, an SCBA in order to protect yourself. But the one thing that I want to key in on that Tim said that I think is the most important is you have to know what those levels are so you know what concentration you're in, so you know what type of respiratory protection is really required. If you don't know what that concentration is, you could be in very lethal levels and have no idea. So you have to be able to measure that concentration. If you're not measuring that concentration and you don't know, the self-contained breathing apparatus or SCBA is 100% what you have to wear. Now, I'm very glad that you brought that up. You know, um, a wise man told me, Ben, 
if you are not testing for the gas readings, you are not fumigating. I I agree with that sentiment 100%. Absolutely. So uh, when you're handling the stuff, I mean, that's kind of what the requirements are. Is there anything special that you have to take into consideration if you're going to be transporting or storing the phosphine? You know, uh, as far as transporting, it needs to be uh, secured. For us, we leave it in its, its original containers. We're transporting large enough quantities in our service work that the special use permit does not apply for, for us. So it needs to be secured in your vehicle so that uh, it can't move around. You know, as far as its storage, it should be stored in a uh, dry, well-ventilated area uh, away from food or, or water. It should never be allowed to be uh, where children might be. Uh, you know, it should never store it where uh, humans and or domestic animals uh, may reside or, or are currently living. So, but really it's, it's transportation is not too difficult, I don't think. In terms of if you, if you use the regular precautions that you would in, uh, as you would with other hazardous materials, uh, you, you should be safe in handling these aluminophosphate products. Right. And I'm glad that you actually mentioned that special permit, because I think there's a lot of people that they either don't know that the special permit exists for transportation or they know it exists and they don't really understand what it is. Uh, so I was hoping maybe you could kind of clarify that a little bit and kind of explain what that DOT special permit 11329 is and how we can actually use it to transport uh, limited quantities of phosphine. Uh, you know, the use of that permit is for private vehicles. Uh, it's not meant to be used for commercial vehicles of like, like a freight company would use. Right. For those companies, any amount of uh, aluminum phosphide or magnesium phosphide is a placardable quantity. What the special use permit allows is for uh, private applicators and pesticide operators to transport up to 42 pounds of aluminum phosphide or magnesium phosphide, or a combination of those two without the need to have to placard their vehicles. Okay. Yeah. That's a very important permit to have because a lot of times when you're out doing some of these fumigations, you may not be carrying enough that requires placarding. And, you know, of course we all know if you have to placard your vehicle, that's uh, <laughs> that makes your vehicle much more noticeable <laughs> for inspections and so on and so forth, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, you would definitely want to make sure that you're following all the, all the uh, DOT requirements to make sure that, you know, if you do get inspected, it's not a big deal. But Having the ability to not placard uh, for a smaller quantity is certainly, there's certainly an advantage to that. So I think that's really important. So besides like having the special permit, is there any other kind of a licensing requirements or anything special with your driver's license that you have to have in order to transport uh, large quantities of phosphine? Yes. If you're handling, you know, all of our drivers or anybody that's handling, uh, Luminophosphides must have a commercial driver's license with a hazmat endorsement in order to transport aluminum phosphide to a job site. Yeah, so I'm glad that we talked about having the CDL with a hazmat endorsement. You know, I, I know I have one. I know that you have one. It's pretty commonplace for people who transport phosphine to have these. And for those of you who may not have one yet, it, it does. It seems like it's kind of a daunting thing to have to go out and get another license in order to fumigate or to transport fumigants. But once you get it, it's really not that bad to maintain. And I mean, there's certain requirements, you know, logging your your hours, your driving hours and things like that. 
but really keeping and maintaining that license isn't really that difficult to do. So don't let having to have the CDL with the hazmat endorsement scare you from trying to obtain it. There's all kinds of study materials available. There's all kinds of people that work in our industry that have CDLs with hazmat endorsements that I'm sure would be more than happy to help you out with uh, any questions that you would have. Heck, we can help you with some questions if you have them. At some other future time, you can reach out to us and ask, and ask us questions. And I'm sure we'd be more than happy to help you out. So I'm definitely glad that we talked about that. So we talked about, you know, transportation and getting it from point A to point B and some of the things that are required for that. What are some of the storage requirements? I mean, you know, if you're going to use phosphine, chances are pretty high you're probably going to be storing this stuff at a facility or storing it on the job site or whatever the case is. Are there any special considerations or requirements for the storage of phosphine? You know, you need to store it as you would other pesticides. That area that you're storing in, it should be posted as a pesticide storage area. Uh, it needs to be a dry, well-ventilated area away from heat and needs to be under lock and key. Should never store it where the temperatures might exceed 130 degrees Fahrenheit. Do not store it where it may contaminate food, water, or other animal feeds. And you need to uh, make sure that it's kept away from children and just never store it in a building where humans and or domestic animals may reside. Right. So no storing it in the closet in your bedroom at your house. You can't do no. that. Please don't do that. <laughs> no, don't even put it in the garage. That's exactly. Your garage. I'll tell you. I can't, yeah. And you're right. You know, and I can't tell you how many times I've gotten calls from people in the past and they said, hey, you know, uh, uh, my grandpa was a pesticide applicator or my uncle or whatever the case is. And, you know, we're cleaning out his garage. We're helping him clean out his garage. And we found these canisters or these flasks, you know, on the back wall. And we don't know what they are, but your, your company name's on them. <laughs> and you're like, uh-oh, yeah, they're not supposed to be there. How old are they? Let's help you get that taken care of. So it, it happens, but please don't. <laughs> I guess that's yeah. the message. Don't Please don't store it like that. Yeah, um, and, and another thing I might add, Ben, is that make sure that you talk to your local fire marshals. I mean, the outsides of those buildings need to be marked and uh, they can... Uh, refer you to the uh, National Fire Protection Association for how a building with aluminum phosphide needs to be placarded on the outside. Right. Yeah, that's an excellent idea. I've worked in uh, plenty of facilities that store phosphine, and something that we've done in the past is actually invited the fire department and the fire marshal and so on to come in and actually uh, do a walkthrough at our facility so we can kind of show them the things that we store, show them where they're stored so they kind of have an idea, you know, supply them with SDSs, which, I mean, they can get their, you know, they can get supplies of those on their own, but it's always nice to build that kind of relationship with your local fire department. They are there to potentially save your life or save your property <laughs> if something happens. So the more relationship that you build with your local fire department your in your local emergency teams, the better off you could potentially be if there is some kind of an emergency. So don't ever be scared to reach out to your local fire department, your local emergency personnel, and invite them in and ask them. I mean, they're not there to judge you. They're there to help you. They may have some really good ideas on storage or ideas on uh, ingress and egress of the facility. They can help you. Uh, again, their goal is to keep you safe, help you keep your property safe. So don't ever be scared to uh, reach out to those individuals. I know that uh, up in your neck of the woods, you work uh, a lot on ship fumigations. And that's something that I don't personally have a lot of experience with, and uh, I don't know if a lot of people do have a lot of experience with that. So I did kind of want to ask you, are there any special safety considerations or anything uh, when it comes to ship fumigation from a safety perspective with phosphine that's different than a normal fumigation? 
the main concern I always have uh, with these ships is, uh, again, respiratory protection, uh, that our crews all have that available. Our applications are all outdoors applications. Uh, we're never in a confined area, but we need to monitor for the gas levels and then have that respiratory protection available if the time-weighted average gets above that 0.3 parts per million. You know, we always wear gloves when we're handling this these products. And, you know, the higher the dosage, the more the risk of a confined space. So you need to have, uh, as that gas dosage gets higher, you use uh, either single motors or two blower motors per hold to remove the gas or pull the gas from the top of the hold and push it down to the bottom as quickly as possible. Right. So the recirculation method, I think that's pretty it's common on most ships, isn't it? It's, yeah. Yeah. It's very common on ships. So. Okay. So it sounds to me like the recirculation method, I mean, pretty standard fare when it comes to all the safety requirements on a ship as compared to a normal fumigation, except for most ships actually use recirculation for their, for part of the application method. One of the most dangerous times when we're going, we're doing ships is getting onto the ships and getting off the ships through the gangways. Those are some of the most dangerous times, just <laughs> right. you know, walking on deck, uh, getting onto the vessel. So lots of slips and trips can occur. Yeah. And then you have to get all your equipment onto the vessel as well. So you're talking about, depending on the size of the ship, a large quantity of phosphine that needs to be uh, put on. If you're, you know, obviously you're doing recirculation uh, almost exclusively on all ships. So you have to get all your recirculation equipment on. So now you're talking about, you know, heavy equipment, you know, and those gangways can get slippery on occasion, I would imagine. So I think that you have to make sure that you're aware of all of that and you're taking all that into uh, consideration. Absolutely. So, all right, I only have one other thing that I want to ask you, and this is something that I ask everybody uh, when we get toward the tail end of the podcast episode, and that's just kind of what advice would you give, you know, a new fumigator? So picture somebody that's brand new, they're fresh to the job, they may not even have a fumigation license yet, we don't know, but just somebody that's brand new to the fumigation industry, what kind of advice would you give that person about the safe use of phosphine? You know, phosphine gas can be used safely as long as you're following the label. I would read the applicator's manual, uh, the SDS completely, uh, familiarize yourself with it, specifically your application that you're looking to do, and then follow those directions. Seek the advice of, you know, of, of the, the company that you're purchasing your material from. They can advise you on uh, the safe use of aluminum phosphide. Make sure you've got uh, respiratory protection and uh, make sure you've got gas detection equipment. And by all, you know, above all, just make sure you're following the label at all times. Right. Okay. That's great advice. <laughs> I, I hear that a lot from people. Follow the label, you know, and I can't, it's so important that you do that. You don't necessarily have to memorize it. Have it on hand, read it, be familiar with it. And if you have questions, refer to it first. It's great advice. All right. Well, hey, Tim, that's all I had for you today. I really appreciate you taking some time to uh, help us understand a little bit more about some of the safety aspects behind phosphine. So thanks. I appreciate it, buddy. All right. Thank you, Ben. I want to thank Tim Larson for helping explain why safety is so important when handling, storing, and transporting phosphine. 
We all know the number one goal when utilizing fumigants is to stay safe and having some guidance on this is always welcome. On the next episode of Dagish America Presents, we'll be going over some of the tools and skills needed to plan and prepare for phosphine fumigations. It's always so very important to have a solid plan in place before ever applying any fumigant, and keeping a paper trail along the way is vital for many, many reasons. And hey, remember, if you have a question you'd like for us to answer during our live season finale, please feel free to send it to us at podcast at dagishamerica.com. Or if you prefer, we can always answer that question right away. You can also find us at dagishamerica.com or on all of the main social media outlets. Until next time, I'm Ben Harrell, and I hope you have a safe and terrific day.